If you uh, have a Bible with you this morning, you can turn that to Matthew 18. Uh, in the black Bibles in the seats in front of you, that's on page 823. Matthew 18. Uh, so have you ever gotten really, really lost? It, it's a little bit more difficult to do these days, right? Because, I mean, you can just ask your phone, okay, Google, where am I? And it puts the little, oh, look, it's going to do it. Got it, but your phone has to be unlocked for that. Anyway. <laughs> and, right, because, I mean, we, we know where we are, and we can ask how to get to where we're going, Right. A few years back, I was uh, hiking out in the North Main Woods, and the trails out there are pretty well marked most of the time. And um, towards the end of the day, there was a there was a sign that said, you know, scenic overlook or something to that effect. And I said, oh, I, I like scenic overlook as much as the next person. And so I go and I sit and have a snack and drink some water, and then turn around to go back. And I get back to the intersection with the trail, and I'm pretty sure that I need to go left. Right? Just that, that's my intuition. I need to go left. But the trail to the left is uphill, and I need to be going downhill. I'm, I, the trail to the right goes downhill. My map's not much help. And, um, and so I'm, I'm standing there and I'm considering the tenuous nature of my circumstances, right? I mean, because I, I got a map, it doesn't really help tell me where I am or where I need to be going. I have a phone. It'll tell me my GPS coordinates, but I can't call anybody. I can't, I mean, I'm thinking about it and I'm, I don't have a radio. I, I don't have, you know, those silver survival blankets. I don't have an ax or, I'm, I, things could get a little dicey here, right? Um, fortunately, about 20 feet down the trail that I took against my better judgment, there's one of my great big size 13 footprints in the mud going the other way. So I said, okay, I'll turn around and go back the right way. But we all will encounter times like that where we're lost, either in just a little way or, or in a really big way, right? And if we haven't yet encountered this sort of situation. We will eventually be lost enough that we need somebody to come and find us. Right? So in Matthew 18, uh, it, this chapter starts off with uh, the disciples arguing about who is the greatest in the kingdom. Which one of us 12 is number one? Right? And, uh, and so Jesus responds to them in verse 3, and he says, Truly I say to you, Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So unless we become like little children, unless we become humble, unless we become depending and trusting of our heavenly father, he can't be a part of the kingdom. And he uses this, this analogy of this idea of little ones all throughout the rest of the chapter as sort of a stand-in for believers. Then he goes on and he makes reference of how there are great penalties for someone who leads a little one, a believer, into sin. In verses 7 through 9, he goes on and he talks about how we as believers will be tempted by sin and how it's better for us to take drastic action in fighting that sin 
than it is to lose that battle bit by bit. There are drastic consequences to allowing sin to go unchecked in our lives. And then a little bit later on in in verse 15, he talks about how we as believers respond or are supposed to respond when we are sinned against. And so this context of this whole of what's going on in in this chapter gives us some clues as to uh, this parable that we're going to look at. Right. We're dealing with sin. How do we fight it? How do we respond to it? the question and the problem of sin? So let's take a look at, uh, at Matthew 18, starting in verse 10. Jesus says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, Does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So again, we see this idea of of little ones. These are these childlike believers who have placed their faith in their heavenly father. He says, um, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. Now, we need to be careful here not to read too, too much into this talk about angels. Um, but But the point is, that these little ones are so important to the Father that these celestial beings who are so privileged to be able to see the face of God, they are the ones who watch over these little ones. So it's an observation of the importance of these little ones, these believers, you and I, to the Father. And so because of that exalted status, because these little ones are important to the angels who see God, we're called to not despise them. Not, don't look down on them. This is the same idea that was carried forward from, uh, from verse 6, right? God places a great value and a great deal of importance on every single one of his children. Every single one of these little ones. And so we are not to look down on other believers because they are loved by God. Just, and just as he loved us, so we should love one another. It says in 1 John 4, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, or the payment in place for our sins. Beloved, if God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so as an illustration to this point, Jesus proceeds to tell this parable. Starting in verse 12. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? So in this parable, one of the questions that we, that we always need to answer looking at any parable is, is where is Jesus in this parable and where am I? 
There's only two characters here. There's, there's sheep, and then there's the shepherd. Jesus identifies himself as the shepherd uh, in, in uh, I think it's in John 10. And so we must be the sheep, right? That is how, uh, that's how Isaiah 53 talks about us, right? All we, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, every one of us, to our own way. And so when I sin, I have turned aside from the path that is laid out for me by the good shepherd. See, he provides for us this, this narrow path that leads to the kingdom, that narrow way that leads to life. In Matthew 7, he tells us to enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So he provides for us this narrow path to follow. This narrow way that leads to life. And what do we do? Why do we stray from this path? We're either not paying attention, right? We're just kind of dawdling along and we find ourselves out in the wilderness. Or something shiny caught my eye, and I'm, I'm going to go see what that is. I, I just didn't feel like following. I want to do my own thing. And off we go. I mean, it's easy enough to do, right? It's easy enough to do when you're out in the woods. It's easy enough to do in life, too. But how is it that this shepherd responds to this one sheep that's gone astray? How does God respond to us in our rebellion against him? He comes to us. The shepherd goes to the sheep. He seeks them out with intentionality and with purpose. So we have this good shepherd who has given us a path to follow, and he calls us to follow it. But we, like these sheep, we forget how good this shepherd really is and how well he cares for us. And so instead of following the path that he has given us, instead of staying with the rest of that flock, we wander off or we sneak off in pursuit of our own satisfaction, our own desire to make our own path, to make those determinations for ourselves. And so that requires that our good shepherd come and find us. That is the theme, really, of the whole Bible. That we are all sheep on a journey. That if we had followed the path that our Creator laid out for us as mankind, as a people, we would have this magnificent pasture, this place that was intended for us all along. But we, like the sheep here, have gone astray. We go astray but both as individuals and as mankind in its entirety, beginning with Adam and Eve, beginning with our first parents, we have chosen to pursue our own path, to make our own choices, and to rebel against the path that our Creator God laid out for us. And to stray from that path, to rebel against Him, means death. In Proverbs 14, it says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but its, way, but its end is the way to death. 
So as we pick our own paths, as we plot our own course, we are plotting a course that ends in death and destruction. To go back to the parable, the wolves and lions that prowl about, right? Or in our lives, the sin and the darkness that envelop us will result in our death. However, our Creator did not leave us to wander in the wilderness, but He sent to us this Good Shepherd, the only begotten Son of God, to live, die, and be raised to life again, so that we, as those wayward sheep, would have a shepherd to come and find us, to save us from the death that we would have run after if we were left on our own. That's why it says in in verse 14, So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Now it's important to note when we look at verse 13, that this is not a begrudging undertaking, right? This is not something that the shepherd undertakes reluctantly. This is something that the shepherd undertakes. He pursues and he finds his sheep with joy. It says in Hebrews 12 that Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, when the cross was set before him, when that shame was set before him, he despised, he thought of, that shame in comparison with the joy. The joy that was set before him. Our shepherd died to bring us back to the flock. And he did that for the joy that was set before him. <coughs> and we are called, therefore, to respond in faith and repentance to that good shepherd, to turn away from our sins, to stop wandering from the path, and instead of trusting our own judgment, our own wants and desires, to trust in our shepherd. To trust that the shepherd knows what's best for us. To trust him for our lives. And to trust him with our lives. To trust Him rather than ourselves with our money, our homes, our families, and our jobs. To trust Him with everything. To trust Him for everything and to trust Him in everything. Now there's a couple of very important things that this parable tells us about who God is. Right? The first one is that God values every single one of His sheep. Uh, A few weeks back when we were in Matthew 6, Jesus asked the question, he, he pointed out that God feeds even the birds of the air. And then he asks, are you in, are you more important than a bird? Right? And so if we look down, if we despise another believer, if we think little of another believer, then we are despising what God loves. And that is sin. We are sinning against him and his nature. And so instead, we need to look at each and every person around us as somebody who bears the image of God, who is beloved of God, and treat them with the same sort of dignity and love that our shepherd would treat us. 
So it tells us that God values every single one of his sheep. It also tells us that God is the God who comes to us. He is an initiative-taking God. Created the world, right? The world wasn't sitting around asking to be made, you know, to have something made of it. But he spoke. He took the initiative and created the world. He created mankind. We weren't sitting around asking to be created. He took the initiative and created us. And when we messed it up in Genesis 3, without being asked, he said, I'm going to make this right. I'm going to fix this. He called Abraham. He called Moses. And at just the right time, he took the initiative to send our Redeemer in Jesus Christ. And we are called then to reflect that initiative taking in resolving conflicts, in telling others about the good news of Jesus, in seeking to conform our attitudes, thoughts, words, and actions to those of our Savior and our example. He takes the initiative. And not only does he take the initiative, but he has a plan. And that plan is not thrown off by seeking lost sheep. Right? His plan is seeking lost sheep. That's his role. It says in Luke 19 that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That is what we are. We are his lost sheep that he has gone into the world and found. Because we are his sheep, and we have been his sheep. It says in Ephesians 1, from before the foundation of the world, that in love he predestined us for adoption to himself. We are his sheep. We are the crop that he has sown into the field of this world, and he is preparing to gather us together into his barn. And there is nothing... There is nothing, there is no power in the world, it says in Romans 8, that can separate us from that love that has come into the world to seek us, to find us, to retrieve us, to bring us back. We can never get so lost that our shepherd cannot find us. And our response, our response we respond with rejoicing, right? We rejoice because he didn't abandon us to our sin. He hasn't left us out in the wilderness to starve. He hasn't left us out in the wilderness for the, for the wolves, but he has come for us. And even if he feels distant to you right now, he is coming for you because that is his nature. That is what he is. That is what He does. And as we rejoice in that, we respond to His call for repentance and faith. To turn away from the paths that we think are best and to trust in, to depend on the path of our shepherd. 
It also calls us to, to love. Right? To love the people around us. Because just as we were once lost sheep, so they may be now lost sheep. And just as the shepherd brought you back, so the shepherd is working to bring back his other wayward sheep. And because we should desire what he desires, we should too desire that that sheep be brought back into the safety of the flock. Because we as sheep are not designed to be alone. All throughout Scripture, when, uh, when God talks about scattered sheep, they are always in need of a shepherd. In Matthew 9, it says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In Ezekiel 34, it says that they were scattered, talking about the nation of Israel. They were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all of the wild beasts. So this is why in Hebrews 10, we are told to not neglect meeting together. To gather and to encourage one another. Right? Because we are not designed to be alone. If you remember back to Ephesians 4, Paul tells us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Because there is one body and one Spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Then a little bit later on, he reminds us that we are to grow up in every way to him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, the whole flock, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So as we grow closer to Christ, then we should grow closer to each other. And this is accomplished by our lives knit together. Right? This, is, uh, this is one of the things that I loved about the uh, church covenant when we brought Bonnie into membership a few weeks ago. That second sentence where it says, we promise to exercise mutual watch care, to counsel, to admonish, or reprove as duty may require, and to receive the same from each other, following Christ's example in humility and love. So this is a promise that we have made to each other in acknowledgement that we're sheep, and we have a tendency to, to stray. We have that tendency to seek our own path. But we want our fellow sheep, we want the believers around us to help us to stay on the path. And we want that not because the shepherd isn't coming for us, because he is. He has. He has come once and for all. But because we love our fellow sheep and our fellow sheep love us as our shepherd loves all of us together. And we don't want harm to come to our fellow sheep by 
that straying. We don't want harm to come to us by our straying. And so we do this because we do not despise, we do not think little of our fellow sheep, but rather because we think the world of them. We love them just the way that the shepherd, just the way that Christ has loved us. We do this not because we have to, not because we're required to, but because we love the shepherd. And we want to love him and serve him together in all of our ways. We do this because we love the shepherd and everything that he stands for. And we think that there is no greater honor, that there is no higher calling than to call another sheep to repentance and faith in him. You are a sheep of one type or another. You might be running for the hills, pursuing your sin just as fast as your stubby little legs will carry you. Regardless of the consequences, you're going to do your own thing. And it's a dangerous, dangerous thing to do. There is a way that seems right to a sheep but that way ends in death. You might be at the other end of that, stuck, mired down in the mud and the muck of sin, tangled up in the thorns of rebellion. And you've realized, I should have stayed with the other sheep. I should have stayed with the shepherd. You realize the errors of your way. That pain has awakened you to the fact that you would be better off under the care of your shepherd. You might be a sheep that's eyeing that green field over there with envy, thinking it wouldn't, it wouldn't be so bad just for a little while to creep over there. You might be a sheep that has learned your lesson, and you're going to stick with your shepherd. You're going to stick with the flock regardless of how tempting that far field looks. But regardless of which type of sheep you are, or have been, or will be, there is a shepherd who loves you, who has come for you in the past, who will come for you in the future, and is coming for you right now. And his call is consistent. Repent, turn back, turn away from our sin and our rebellion against him. Cry out to him as only sheep can for his pardon. Cry out to him for his forgiveness. It says in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is the shepherd who is seeking to unmire his sheep. He is the shepherd who is seeking to untangle us from those thorns that have snared us. He is faithful and just to forgive us if we will confess and repent and follow after him once again. Let's pray together.
Father, we really are like sheep more often than we care to admit. We're not very bright. And we make the same terrible choices time and time again because we just can't figure it out, God. But we thank you and we love you that you are our good shepherd, God, that you have come after us time and time again in the past. And you are coming after us even now, God, to call us back to you, to call us to follow you, to love you, to call us to something greater, God, because there, there is a future that you are shepherding us towards. God, you are shepherding us towards that kingdom. And we cannot imagine. Eye has not seen and ear has not heard. God, just how glorious that day will be. And so, Father, as we look forward to that great day, as we look forward to that peaceful valley that you are bringing your flock towards, God, we ask that you would that you would show us, Father, where you are at work and how you are at work, that you would show us what it means to follow you, that you would be gently correcting us, lovingly showing us the way, reminding us to follow after you. God, whether that is through the, the words in the Bible, God, whether it's through your words on printed page, whether that's through the promptings of your Holy Spirit inside of us, God, or whether that is through your people, the church, lovingly coming alongside of us. God, we want to follow after you. We want to be your sheep. We want to be your children. We love you and we trust you. But Father, sometimes we stray and we ask that you would bring us back. We thank you for having brought us back in the past. We thank you for how you are bringing us back even now. And God, we thank you for the love and forgiveness that is in Christ Jesus, that even if we stray now, even if we stray tomorrow, even if we stray in the years to come, God, you will bring us back because that is what you do. You have come to seek and to save us who were once lost. We love you and we thank you for that. We pray all of this in the name of our shepherd, Jesus Christ. Amen.